This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, it's 7.06, it's Thursday, 8th of January, and of course you're listening to The Morning Run with Keith Kam and I'm Wong Xiaoning. Now in about 30 minutes, we'll find out the outlook for the Australian economy, but in the meantime, let's recap how global markets closed yesterday. So uh, Wall Street basically ended higher this, despite a negative handover from Europe. Uh, it was inspired by several strong earnings reports. The Dow Jones was up 0.4%, the Nasdaq was up 1%, the S&P 500 was up 0.8%. Percent. It closed at 4,995 points, just sneezing distance from the 5,000 all-time high mark. Uh, earlier in the day in Asia, the Nikkei was down 0.1%. Hong Kong's Hang Seng closed 0.3% lower. Shanghai's Composite was down one, was up 1.4%. And Singapore's STI was up 1%. While Bursa Malaysia's FBM KLCI was hardly changed at 1,513 points. So for some insights on where international markets are heading, we speak to Vishnu Varatan, Head of Economics and Strategy at Mizuho Bank. Good morning, Vishnu. Always good to speak to you now. Recent statements from the US Fed indicate that they may be pulling back from an earlier dovish pivot to aggressively cut rates. How has this affected sentiment on US dollar assets like treasury bonds and even the greenback? Well, if we take a bigger look at it, not very much actually. So at the margin, the the increasing rate of uh, you know drop in USD yields has abated somewhat. Uh, people are also less aggressively selling off the dollar on on that you know single-minded, one-dimensional Fed pivot bets. Uh, but really, despite you know fresh comments coming in saying hold your horses, it's not like we're going to cut imminently or very aggressively. Uh, there's still a one in four chance of a March rate cut being priced in, although March is effectively taken off the table. So markets are still sort of hopeful and, and there's still a, a good almost 150 basis points uh, of cuts for a year out. So, so that, that suggests to us that markets are still not completely buying into uh, the Fed pushback. Vishnu, so besides the Fed, other central banks around the world are wrestling with whether or not to reduce rates this year. What direction do you think the Monetary Authority of Singapore will take on setting the exchange rate ban uh, in 2024? Uh, that's, that's a good question. I mean, I mean, obviously, because uh, the exchange rate uh, policy would work very differently to uh, interest rate policy. Uh, the January meeting gave us a little bit of uh, insight into the thinking. And, and I think there are two things around it. One is... Uh, the current restrictive settings are necessary to continue to combat any residual uh, upside in price risks. Uh, so I think that MAS, you know, quite quite correctly notes that you know price risks are not over yet, folks, because you see shipping prices continue to rise. There are administrative uh, administrative price hikes in Singapore to do with carbon taxes, GST, so on and so forth. So that battle is not over, but they recognise that uh, two-way risks to growth continue to remain in the picture. So you don't want to over-tighten either. Uh, so our sense is this. Our sense is that if global central banks start cutting rates, the MES can still hold where it is because the nature of uh, exchange rate policy is that it adjusts itself as interest rates elsewhere uh, will, will adjust. But if the downside uh, shocks to demand are a bit larger than expected, in other words, if, if there's a downturn that's of a greater extent than earlier imagined, then we would think that the MES's first recourse would be to reduce the slope uh, of the policy band. In other words, on a trade-weighted basis, they will not allow the Singapore dollar to appreciate at the current clip, which is around 2% per annum, uh, give or take. 
So uh, given what we know then, uh, and I think I've mentioned this to you as well, uh, every year since 2019, the Sing Ringgit rate has been hitting new all-time highs. And this year, we did that um, much earlier in January. And with the stronger dollar as well, what's the prognosis for uh, for the, the Ringgit going forward this year? The, the Ringgit, I think we are rather constructive on it uh, for, for two big reasons. One is uh, we do see... Uh, semiconductor turn coming in in the second half of the year. And and Malaysia is well positioned to benefit from that, although uh, that will probably, uh, you know, that, that kind of uh, lift uh, through the, the, the trade channels and the electronics channels is only going to come through late next year. Uh, and, and the second aspect of it is uh, as uh, the policies start to regain traction, uh, and, and I think markets come around to uh, taking some political risk premium off the ringgit, and, and the current volatility around uh, oil prices uh, away from the ringgit as well, then you'd probably find it uh, getting more constructive. The, the, the odd thing here is uh, I think the ringgit has reflected more of the pullback in oil on an aggregated basis, uh, but does not in any way benefit from the geopolitical upside risks entailed in it. So uh, that's a quirk of, of the oil ringgit correlation that we need to bear in mind as well. Okay, in the meantime, if we look at China, we're going to have inflation and producer prices coming out later. What are your expectations for these numbers and what is it going to say about the state of the Chinese economy? Currently, I, I think you know the, the, the thing that comes across is uh, on these measures, uh, China does not snap itself out of deflation. Uh, so we, we think you know producer prices are going to drop uh, by, uh, in, in the ballpark of, say, 2.5% year on year. Uh, consumer price index uh, around half a percent year on year, is essentially both are, are still falling. And I think that reflects two things. For the consumer, it reflects uh, a, you know, a confidence deficit, which is why uh, the propensity to consume has diminished and, and the pricing in the consumer markets uh, reflects that. In, in particular, we found that the big ticket item uh, goods were, were not uh, keeping up uh, and that reflects the lack of, 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 of buying uh, and a lack of confidence. For the businesses, what we've noticed also is that industrial profits continue to fall. Uh, and, I, and I think that's a reflection of, of them also not having the confidence around order books. And that's also holding back pricing. So despite the rest of the world talking about lingering inflation, whether inflation is coming, uh, coming down uh, sufficiently, uh, China is in a slightly different spiral of uh, uh, not having the confidence to get prices up. Vishnu, do you think Beijing is getting ready to introduce the well, the mother of all stimulus packages in order to prop up its ailing markets? And if so, what mechanisms would the government likely take? Yeah, I mean that's the that's the thing. I mean we we we're still struggling with whether it's uh, uh, trying to bring down uh, the dragon with a thousand paper cuts or it's, they're really going to pull out uh, a bazooka. So so far, I think all the the hopes of a bazooka have been uh, um, somewhat disappointed. Uh, and, and that's not just due to Beijing's, uh, you know, lack of uh, initiative. I mean, they have come up with some big measures, big announcements, including a change uh, in the, uh, you know, in the equity market regulator, the securities market regulator, so on and so forth. But as of now, I, I think there is a sense that the stimulus is still not unrestrained. And some of the restraint reflects in itself. One of the, I mean, two of the big restraints for Beijing are they don't want to pile up debt. So this is going to hold back local government, so on and so forth, their ability to put something forward. Uh, and the other uh, restraint for Beijing is they also don't want the Romimbi to suffer uh, from pressures, which means monetary policy stimulus must be very careful that it doesn't undermine the exchange rate 
uh, if it comes across as being too stimulative or too much rate cuts. Uh, so the inbuilt restraints on, on stimulus is, is not missed by the markets either. All right. Thank you very much for your time. That was Vishnu Varazan, Head of Economics and Strategy at Mizuho Bank, um, giving us his views on the Chinese economy. And Keith, you want to highlight something about the <laughs> Singapore dollar, right? I don't know. It's just not great news for us. But for businesses living in Johor Bahru, you, you, might, you might be able to expect uh, an influx of Singapore visitors uh, over the Chinese New Year holidays because the Singapore dollar has again hit a new all-time high against the Malaysian ringgit in the past one year. The Sing dollar has appreciated 9.2% against the, the, the Malaysian ringgit. Can you imagine? This is way, way higher than our FD rates, 9.2%. Uh, what can I say? <laughs> uh, so, but anyway, you Singaporeans, if you're listening to this, you know, it's worth the three-hour jam at the Causeway to spend all your money in Johor Bahru. Please come across. Enjoy our services. What, what's the latest rate now? 3.5484. There we go. Ouch, ouch, <laughs> ouch. But let's turn our attention to some of the corporate results. First off, course, is Walt Disney. It reported fiscal first quarter earnings that beat estimates and raised its guidance for the profit outlook of the year thanks to Bob Iger's cost-cutting measures and strong performance of its international theme parks. Did you read that though that some people were stuck in the I think it's the Hong Kong roller coaster for a bit yesterday. Oh, I did not. I did not. Well, there were some technical difficulties but it didn't impact the results at all. Well, that would have been scary though. I mean, I know a lot of friends who uh, would never go to uh, go on a roller coaster ride with me because, you know, basically to them, it was just, why do you want to pay to feel like you're going to die? So <laughs> <laughs> that's another story. Uh, revenue was generally flat for Disney is, uh, at, at $23.55 billion compared with the uh, $23.5 billion a year ago and fell short of the $23.8 billion expected. And this was attributed to Disney's struggling TV business and to theatrical theatrical misses the mm. marvels and wish which were generally quite um it received it didn't, very yeah, lukewarm. lukewarm. Yeah, I, I watched. I watched both of them. They weren't great. They weren't really up to standard as far as I was concerned. I think everyone's tired of the Marvel uh, series, right? Uh, but if we look at the streaming, including the performance at ESPN Plus, losses for all the streaming businesses narrowed to two hundred sixteen million dollars from one billion dollars recorded a year ago. Disney Plus core subscribers did shrink, however, by one point three million from the previous quarter to close to one hundred fifty million, missing projections of 151 million due to subscription cost hikes. There was a rise in average revenue per user though. Now into the entertainment segment, revenue fell by 7% to close to $10 billion. No thanks to a slump in linear networks and content licensing fee. The direct-to-consumer business, however, did see a 15% jump to $5.55 billion, while at ESPN, sales rose 4% to $4.84 billion thanks to a drop in production Cross, uh, cost and growth in suspension. Descriptions. And getting stuck on roller coasters notwithstanding, the bright spot for Disney remained at its international parks because there was a 7% increase in revenue to $9.13 billion, although there was lower attendance reported at its domestic theme parks in Florida. The two California-based parks saw higher spending from guests and the Disney's cruise line continues to see more passenger and higher ticket prices. If you're looking forward for them... Uh, 
the company says they are on pace to meet or exceed its goal of cutting costs by at least $7.5 billion at the end of fiscal 2024. I mean, I guess it says a lot when a company's goal at this point is to cut costs and that they are on track to doing so. But every company seems to be on track to cutting costs, mm. right? You saw, what, 32,000 job cuts in the tech sector. So it's not surprising that even Disney, looking forward, can see that maybe top-line revenue growth might be a bit flat. So it's probably easier to just cut the fat. Now, in terms of the street, do they like Disney? The answer is pretty much yes, because there's 26 buys, 8 holes, 2 sells. Consensus target price for this stock, 104 US dollars and 56 cents. Last time priced during regular market hours, it was down 15 cents to 99 US dollars and 14 cents. Now, on a year-to-date basis, albeit we're just only in the we're only on the 8th of February. The stock is actually up close to 10% on a year-to-date basis. Valuations, I wouldn't say super-duper expensive, but not cheap either, and that's trading at 23 times forward earnings. Now, let's turn our attention to ARM. ARM is actually a relatively new listing. This is the only the second time they've reported uh, financials to the market. So they reported fiscal third quarter earnings that exceeded expectations and gave a strong profit forecast for the coming quarters, sending shares to soar more than 30% in extended trading. Yeah, they were listed in 2023. Uh, their revenue rose by 14% year on year to $824 million. ARM makes money through royalties. So when companies pay for access to build ARM compatible chips, usually amounting to a small percentage of the final chip price, that's where that's where they, they get their their, their salaries from. During the September quarter, its customers shipped 7.7 billion ARM chips. Royalty revenue rose by 11% to $470 million. And this is partially thanks to a recovery in the smartphone market, which increased sales to and increasing sales to also companies as well as cloud providers. Okay, so market really likes the fact that ARM has diversified. In the past, right, if you look at ARM's earnings, you basically think of its correlation to handphone smartphone sales, which as we know, if you look at Apple sales, is just just about a pedestrian 2-3% growth. So the industry initially when it came out uh, at the IPO at that time, markets weren't really, really super hot. But I think what has clearly happened is that now smartphone market accounts for less than a third of the company's sales. Of course, they've also thrown in that magic word that all of us love. AI. Okay, that's what that's what really, really makes the difference. If you can use that word somehow in your analyst briefing, your CEO say it, I think you'll get a premium in the valuation and a pop, which explains why this stock after hours was actually up 30%. Now, does the street believe this at the moment? I'll be going to see a raft of upgrades. I suspect so. Um, in terms of stock, there are 19 analysts that have a buy on this. 11 have a hold, 2 sells. Consensus target price, now lower than current share price 68 US dollars and 52 cents last time price during regular market hours was 77 US dollars up by four dollars and three cents I suspect the number of buys is just going to inch up on the back of this good set of numbers plus the guidance is also very positive they, they, they seem to be quite uh, positive about their, their prospects as well they are expecting earnings per share for the current quarter to be between 28 to 32 cents sales to come in at around 850 to 900 million dollars and yeah uh, the expectations were 21 cents and sales of 780 million dollars so that's uh, way above what analysts are expecting one set of good results to another one, which is Uber. Uber's fourth quarter top and bottom line exceeded analyst estimates and it, wow, it deserves a clap. 
<laughs> yes. posted its first annual net profit as a public company. Net income came in at $1.4 billion or 66 cents per share versus the close to $600 million or 29 cents per share reported a year ago. Uh, this was higher than expected. Uh, $0.17 cents included a $1 billion net tailwind thanks to unrealized gains from the revaluation of its equity investments. Revenue was up 15% year-on-year to $9.94 billion. Gross bookings rose by 22% to $37.6 billion. And its, it's, it's adjusted EBITDA improved by 93% to $1.28 billion. That's slightly above the $1.23 billion expected. Yeah, so of course, this ride-hailing company, which also has driver, merchant earnings, uh, food delivery, I think beat street expectations. And maybe, yes, it's reached that really, really almost tipping point, although investor expectations were rather high. Now, there's a street like this name. I mean, this was really one of those pandemic darlings, which after a while, people were like, oh, but the earnings weren't great. Okay, now they are. 49 buys, 5 holes, no sells. Consensus target price for this stock, 73 US dollars and 30 cents. Last time price actually during regular market hours was 70 cents and 65 cents. Uh, 70 dollars and 65 cents, excuse me. It was up 18 cents. Now, Let's have a look. It is actually up close to 15% on a year-to-date basis. No indicative gross yield. However, be warned, be warned. Price valuations, mm. not cheap. Forward earnings, we're talking about 60 times. Wow. <laughs> Expensive, right? I'm waiting for them to throw AI into that. Up next, we'll cover the top stories in the newspapers and portals this morning. Stay tuned for that BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the VFM app.